I love being with the church and yes. having that atmosphere of worship. Yes. Well, you just, you know where you were. Mm. You were blind, but now you see. You were oh. lost, but now you're found. And it feels good. Yes, yes, it does. Put your hands together for Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God is good. Amen? Amen. I love worshiping with you guys. It's awesome. Um... I'm actually going to dismiss core kids at this time. If you are in core kids, you can be dismissed and go to your classes. I know you're having a good time in here, so it's kind of bittersweet, but they got a good time for you over there as well. I'd like to also invite the ushers to pass out handouts at this time. If you have not received a handout, and by the way, you can be seated. Please raise your hand, wave it around like you just don't care. They'll know you need a handout, and they'll come to you and give you one. We're going to open up in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity I have to speak to your people, Lord God, to the people that you've brought here today, my God. I thank you that you're gracious and kind and your mercy is new every day. Father, I do pray, Lord God, that you would be glorified during this time and that those who are in here today would be edified, Lord God. Father, that your spirit would do its work. Father, that you would use me as a tool in your shed, God. Father, I want to decrease and I want you to increase, Lord God. It's all about you, Jesus. Have your way. We love you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the big idea for today is we are created to be together. We were never meant to be alone whenever God created mankind. He's seen Adam in the garden, and he said, it's not good for man to be alone. So here comes Eve. Can I get an amen from the men that God created a woman? Amen. amen. That's fantastic. So it wasn't meant for us to be alone. The title of today's message is Redeemed to Connect. So I want to break apart the word redeem and connect. Redeem means to compensate for faults or gain possession of in exchange for payment it fits with the gospel jesus compensated for our faults on the cross he gained possession of us by the payment of his death and bloodshed on the cross for us the favorite scripture that i like using for this particular point is first corinthians 6 19 and 20 scripture says or do you not know that your body is a temple of the holy spirit Within you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and spirit, which belong to God. Jesus paid the price to purchase you with his blood. If you have put your faith and trust and hope in Christ, and he is your Lord and Savior, you are not your own. You are called to die to yourself so that you can live in Christ. He is your master. Amen? So redeem is to compensate for faults. Thank you, Jesus, for compensating for my faults. As Pastor Aldo mentioned during communion, 
There was no way for me to compensate on my own part. So thank you, Jesus, for making that payment for my sins. And then the word connect, redeem to connect. I got a slide up here to talk about connect. So whenever we were switching to small groups a couple years back, the leaders were like, well, what are we going to call our small groups? Life groups, house groups, home groups, small groups, Bible study groups. And there's all kinds of groups, right? All the churches have different names. So we wanted to come up with something that we thought fit who we were and what the Bible was declaring for us to be, and that is to make disciples. So the word koinonia is a Greek word. It means Christian fellowship or communion with God or with fellow Christians in particular of the early Christian community. And then the word connect, C-O-N-N-E-C-T, it means to join, link, or fasten together, unite or bind, a cause to be associated as in a personal or business relationship, merge the two together, like a sandwich, and you see connect, K-O-N-E-C-T, core face, modern day example of the early church to share the gospel and build disciples. That's what we do in small groups, amen? Amen. Amen. And our connect groups, come to them, be a part of them, join them. We need you, amen? Well, one body, redeemed, bought, possessed by Christ, and because of that, you should come and participate, Amen? amen? Amen, thank you. Love you guys. First point is, how does the cross make us family? How does the cross make us family? So what makes you a family in the natural realm? In the natural realm, there is birth, right? So you're pregnant, you go through nine months. It's fantastic. First trimester, second trimester, third trimester. Some are better than others. And then the birth. And then you have life. The other way is adoption. You have those who are orphans, those who need a home, and they're adopted into a family. The common denominator for both, and neither one of them are family without love. Love is the foundation. There's people who were born into a family biologically, but they don't consider that their family because they were left at the doorstep of a fire station, or they just weren't shown the love that they need and that they needed to be nurtured and to grow and develop. So like, that's that's my biological, like Shaq would say, right? Shaquille O'Neal took me from a man to a boy without a bother because my biological didn't bother, something like that, right? There's some lyric like that. Maybe y'all don't know. I know. <laughs> but he has a lyric where he talked about how he was raised by a different dad. It wasn't his biological father. And he considered the individual that raised him as his dad because of the love that was there. So we have the birth and we have adoption. Now, if you look at the parallel in the spiritual realm, you have new birth and adoption. The scriptures talk about both. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. To be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Amen. And then 1 Peter 1.23 says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. So what's the perishable seed? It's the seed of man. It's the seed of man. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The natural birth, you've been born of perishable seed. But what he's talking to is the church, and he says, you've been born of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God, which Jesus is the word of God, the word made flesh. And then the scriptures also talk about adoption. In Ephesians 1.5, it says, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Do you see the common denominator? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about Jesus and his finished atoning work on the cross 
to reconcile our lost people to himself, to redeem, to gain possession of our lost people to himself. And then Romans 8, 15 says, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. I can call you daddy. God, you're my dad. Abba, Father. Because I've been adopted and I belong to God's family. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we talk about how does the cross make us family. The cross. What does the cross have to do with that? It's penal substitute. Penal substitute. So there was a penalty that was paid by our substitute on behalf of us. So we violate God's law. 1 John 3, 4 says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So as you violate God's law in thought, word, and deed, sins of omission and commission, that means you're thinking things that violate God's law. You're saying things that violate God's law. You're doing things that violate God's law. And sins of commission, things you're participating in, sins of omission, things that you know you should be doing that you're not doing. And always we are violating God's law because he's holy and his standard is high. And all you got to do is be honest with yourself and you'll know what I'm saying is true because the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. It's the Holy Spirit's work. It's not my work. You have a conscience with knowledge. God has given you that. And it bears witness of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. So the penalty of sin is the wrath of God. In John 3.36, it says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Redeem. Compensate for our faults. The wrath of God that we deserve because of our wayward hearts, because we were born into sin, because from Adam, sin went. The Bible says through one man, sin entered into the world. And it's passed down through the incorruptible seed of man. We deserve the wrath of God. But Jesus did what only Jesus could do in compensating. He didn't only just suffer for us, church. He became our active obedience. He lived a perfect life. He became a perfect sacrifice. In the Old Testament, whenever the sacrifices were required, it was a sheep or a lamb without blemish. Jesus was without blemish, and he's both the lion and the lamb. Amen? Amen. Amen. So Jesus obeyed for us to become our righteousness, and Jesus suffered for us to pay our debt. It's at the cross. So how does the cross make us family? It's at the cross that Jesus redeemed us. He gained possession and paid that payment for us. From possession to family. Welcome to the family of God. Amen? From possession to family. So why do we need each other? So before I get into what I want to discuss on why we need each other, I came across a fantastic spoken word. Anybody like spoken word in here? A little bit? So this is a great clip. It's, it's a little longer than what I would like it to be, but it's worth every second. So I decided I was going to share it. Can you guys? Thank you.
This is the story of how God Almighty went on an eternal search that was born of love and cost his blood, the story of his holy church. We were at first disembodied. Our limbs and bodies were active practitioners of misanthropy. We were fingers without hands, wrists with no arms, shoulders without chest, parts without form, heels with no foot, knees with no leg, toes with no step, appendages with no head. We were lost and stranded wanderers, doomed to die alone. But that was before God graciously left his throne. For eons ago, in the space and time where only eternity grows, the only truly universal body existed in divinity, and it is forever known as the Trinity. Now this celestial anatomy, this father, son, and spirit assembly, this family of one, yet panoply of many, is and was and will forever be the only hope for humanity, for it is and was and will forever be the only true embodiment of unity. So the perfect body, the perfection expression of the one of three, took up flesh and took on a mortal life, and he is and was and will forever be be known as Christ. But for many, something didn't seem right. For if this Son, this God, this Savior, this King was the hope for the world, why is He dying on this tree? If he was to renew our bodies, why is his being torn apart? If he was to give us eternal life, why is his ending among thieves and guards? But these questions were asked by those who only see wounds as scars. For as he was torn, we were mended. As he was ashamed, we were perfected. As he was ripped, we were sewn. As he was opened, we were closed. And though the one true body is back on his throne, you may know that the one true body lives on here below. For his body did rise, yet in leaving it did not die, but lives on in the church, the unified body of Christ. But it wasn't just for a body that God sent his son to die. It was for an eternal companion. It was for a bride. As it is written, it is for this reason that man shall leave his father and hold fast to his wife. So the son left the father so that the two may become one flesh, may become one life. And though there is but one husband, we are of much flesh, red and yellow, black and white, Baptist, Lutheran, Church of Christ. Yet no matter the color or affiliation of one of 10,000 racial, economical, or denominational stripes, when we became Christians, we left our fathers for the husband, and we all form the bride of Christ. For we were 10,000 weak, 10,000 undone, but now the church is becoming the bride, and 10,000 with Christ shall be made one. But God's goodness was not then done, his plan not yet complete, for he wanted to live with his new bride, so he made his wife a building. Now we are living stones breathing bricks, laughing lumber, surviving sticks, built bit by bit, inch by inch, together with every Christian the groom admits. Together we knit one on top of the other as we submit around the pillars of the apostles and prophets, all coming to sit on the one foundation of Christ, 
the structure's magnet. We are the church, the only building no force in heaven nor on earth could purge. The ark that holds the eternal God, the temple that trembles with his spirit's surge. And so I urge you, you body, you bride, you building, you church, to not abandon, profane, or neglect God's church, his perfect work. Fight boldly for the body, love deeply the bride, live holy in the building, for I tell you, we are for what Christ has died. We are the assembly of the saints, the congregation of the upright. We are where heaven inhabits. We are the fold of Christ. We are the branch of God's planting, the meeting of the firstborn. We are heaven and earth's family. We are the heritage of the Lord. We are the chosen people. We are the holy nation. We are the royal priesthood, God's special reclamation. We are the temple. We are the city. We are the vineyard, the sanctuary. We are the body. We are the bride. We are the building. We are the church. We are the construction of eternity's eternal holy work. So we will never dismember the flesh. We will never divorce the wife. We will never dismantle the house. We will never dismiss the price, but we'll lay everything down for our everlasting tribe. For we are the church. We are the people of Christ. So why do we need each other? Romans 12, 4 and 5 says that as for as in one body, we are many members. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So think about it in the natural. Your ears don't do what your nose does, but your nose don't do what your legs do. Your fingers don't do what your toes do. Everything has its own function. And see, that's just on the surface. I mean, you go a little bit deeper, you start thinking about your muscular system and your nervous system. I mean, there's a lot of inner work going on that you don't even see behind the scenes, but it's intricate. It's perfect. It's by design. But we're many members as the church on the spiritual side so that we can be united to be that one bride that he's talking about in the spoken word. And that's talked about in Romans chapter 12. What you have to give to this local congregation as a redeemed vessel, as an individual who's been blood bought, as somebody who's been brought from death to life and into the family of God, is not the same thing that I have to give. And what I have to give, you don't have to give because we're designed by God in a perfect way to offer the gifts that he's given us and the talents he's given us to make up that one collected bride of Christ, that one collected body of Christ that Paul talks about in Romans. For as in one body, we have many members. And the members do not all have the same function. Though many we are, we're one body in Christ, and Christ is the head. So it's always been intended for mankind to be, for mankind to be in relationship. God exists as a triune God. He's one God, three persons. One in three. It doesn't matter if you understand it or not. He's one God and three persons. He's a triune God. That's how he's revealed in scriptures to us. Point three is, is, is Sunday attendance enough? Is it enough for us to just come to church on Sundays? To answer this, we must ask ourselves, what does the scripture say about our commitment to one another? 
And I'd like to go to Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, and expounding on this. And this is, in the book of Acts, this is the day of Pentecost where the tongues of fire came down on the people, and they were all speaking in different languages, but everybody that was gathered there for Passover realized, man, they're speaking in our languages. And some of them are like, well, they must be drunk. And Peter's like, no, 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 no. Ain't nobody drunk. This is the Holy Spirit. But he goes on a rant. He goes all the way back to Genesis. He talks about the whole lineage of Christ. And then he starts telling them, you crucified Christ. You are the ones that crucified Christ. And then 3,000 people came to Christ during that time. 3,000 people God brought from death to life and revealed himself and gave them faith to believe. And they were converted and brought in through adoption and new birth to the family of God. And it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles. Keyword devoted. They devoted themselves. To the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and, distribu and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, day by day, Day by day, is Sunday enough? Day by day, they were attending the temple together and breaking the bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You know, when I was reading some commentary on this, it said that this was the first picture of communism. And I was like, that ain't, come on, that ain't right. So, some, I mean, people say anything, you know, but... If it was communism, there wouldn't be choices. These people were selling their possessions because they loved the body, because their hearts were changed. Their affection was for God now. The things that they once loved to do, they no longer loved to do. The things they loved to participate in, they no longer loved to participate in because God had redeemed them. God had changed them. They had experienced new birth. Their hearts were regenerated. Even Ananias and Sapphira, Peter told him, he said, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? What you had belonged to you, and when you sold it, the proceeds belonged to you as well. You didn't need to do that. So it's not communist by any stretch. It's just the work of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. There are not commands in this particular passage. However, this is the first picture that we get of how the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, post-Christ resurrection, interacted with one another, and we should look like that, church. We should. I'm not telling you to go sell all your possessions and, and give them to everybody else. I'm not telling you to do that by any stretch of the imagination. But I am telling you that we should look like the first church in the book of Acts. Amen? For personal growth, you need to be in relationship with others. So if you're really going to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. If you want these virtues, if you want this character to be added to you, you need to be in relationship with people. How can you love unconditionally whenever everybody meets all your conditions? But see, whenever you get into a relationship with someone and they offend you, or they don't live up to your expectations, but you still love them, you still care for them unconditionally, you're learning to love unconditionally. How can you learn to truly be patient if you're not put in a situation where that patience needs to be exercised. Anybody got little ones? Amen? Y'all see my hand, right? How many is that? I had to throw it out. 
so I'm the most patient. End of, no, I'm just kidding. My wife is. Um, but in order to gain virtue and get personal growth, you have to be in situations and in relationships with people to where you can exercise these type of virtues. Amen? Jesus said this, and this is, this, is, this is awesome. Jesus said, the world would know that you are his disciples by the way that you loved one another. If you are not in relationship with nobody, how can the world see how you love one another? How can the world see how I've offended you and you forgave me unconditionally with no strings attached? How can the world see my generosity if I'm not in relationship and don't have the opportunity to be generous? How can the world see the love of Christ if we're not in relationship? The world has to see that we belong to Christ by the way that we love one another, church. You can't truly love someone without really knowing them and without being in relationship with them to some degree. I'm not telling you everybody in here is going to be BFFs. I'm not telling you that at all. But what I am saying is that you should be striving to be in relationship with the church so that you can learn to love unconditionally. That's why I love marriage. It's... You know, it's referred to, you know, God talks to us in family language, right? He says, you know, that, that we are the bride and Christ is the groom. And he says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. There's no greater opportunity I have to do what Christ did for me than in my marriage. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church and laid down his life for her. Husbands, are you laying down your life for your, for your wife? Are you being selfish? Is it about you or is it about her? Is it about Jesus? And is it about your responsibility as a husband to love your wife like Christ loved the church? Are you being that image? and Are you being that reflection to your children? Do they look at daddy and say, my dad loves mommy. And they know it beyond a shadow of a doubt because of the way that you're interacting. Christ loved the church. We get that opportunity to lay down our lives for our wives. It's a beautiful thing. And she's a daughter of God, so you should do it. Um, we must be seen together doing life together by the world, striving together side by side for the faith of the gospel. Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together side by side for the faith of the gospel. This is Paul writing to the church of Philippi when he was imprisoned. And he's saying, you got responsibility. I want to know whether I'm with you or whether I'm not. i got to hear report that you are striving together side by side with one mind, with one heart, doing the same thing, working for the faith of the gospel, striving for the faith of the gospel and the proclamation of it to a lost and dying world. And again, in Philippians 2, 3, and 4, it says, Do nothing from a selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Church, Jesus came to serve, not to be served. It ain't about you. It ain't about me. That's about Jesus. Look to the needs of others before your very own. Do you think they need a call from you? You think they need a hug? You think they need a word of encouragement? You think they need a word of exhortation? You think whenever they're down and being attacked by the fiery darts of the enemy, so they're acting in the flesh, and they might have got on your nerves in the wrong way, you think the right response is for you to be angry or bitter towards them? Or should you be gracious and kind and loving and forgiving the way that Christ is towards us? You see, nobody's sinned against you greater than you've sinned against God. So who are you not to forgive those who've sinned against you? 
Before I close out, I wanted to share another video. I shared this video last time that I preached, but I really love this video, so I think it was worth showing again, and some of you weren't here last time. So it has to do with loving the church. And I want to ask you a question today. Do you love the church? Do you love the church? Or is the church merely a convenience in your life? Do, do, do you love the church? Or, or do you just merely need a pick-me-up once a week? Do you love the church? Or is the church a nice place for you to be when it's convenient. Do you love the church? Or is the church actually a burden for you? Do you love the church? Or are you just ticking a box so that when you stand before God, He will know that you were here? Do you love the church? Or do you merely endure all of these people around you so that you can get what you need out of the service? Do you love the church? Or does this just happen to be the place that does things the way that you like things done so that after you've finished all of your shopping, you've decided to land here for a while? That is, until you get upset. Or find a better deal. Do you love the church? Do you see her as the blood-bought bride of Jesus Christ? Or are we merely here to fit into your agenda? Do you love church that's the question today and if you love the church what is it about the church that you love we live in consumeristic times where we look at the church like consumers trying to find some place that has the right mix of you know they, they they read from the right version of the bible and they sing the right kind of songs and they dress the right way and they talk the right way and they have the same opinion of this and of that and of the other and as consumers we sit down and we sit in judgment and we look around and decide if we're going to buy or not and then when we decide we're going to buy after shopping for a while we sit back and we check to make sure that everything is going to stay just the way we want it to stay and then we get up and we leave there's another place that didn't stand up under my scrutiny and meet my expectations that's not loving the bride of Christ 
God has plucked brands out of the fire and brought them together here in this place to share life together, to give our lives to one another. I had two takeaway questions prepared, but that's my third takeaway question. Do you love the church? The second one is, what does your current commitment to the church look like? And when I say church, I'm not talking about the four walls. I'm talking about the people sitting next to you. What does your current commitment look like to the bride of Christ? And the second question for you to take away is church. So this is church. This is, this is you, the ones who put their faith in Christ. The ones who belong to Christ, I'm talking to you. It says, are you doing your part by connecting and growing together? That's for you to answer. But if you're not a part of the body of Christ, if you've not placed your faith and trust and hope in Jesus Christ, then I'd like to share a very important message with you. The Bible says, that through one man sin entered into the world, and that was Adam. And with sin came death, three kinds of death, physical, spiritual, and eternal. Physical death, our hearts will stop beating. This mortal body will, will stop ticking. Spiritual death, you're separated from God. You need to be reconciled. You need to be redeemed. Eternal death is still left to be decided. I hope that None of us experience eternal death, which is forever damnation and separation from God in all of eternity. We are a vapor in the wind, a flower quickly fading. We're here today and gone tomorrow. But because sin entered into the world and with it came death and sickness and diseases and so forth, you can blame everything on sin because that's the reality because God didn't create it like that originally. The rebellion against God. The sin, sin of thought, word, and deed, like we talked about earlier, and commission and omission. The Bible says that out of the heart of man proceeds fornications, adulteries, murders, thefts, lewdness, lust, pride, envy, wickedness. All of these things come from out of the heart of man and defile a man, is what the scriptures say. And I know that you know. This is for you who haven't put your faith in Christ. I know that you know because the Spirit of God is convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. And you have a conscience. Today is the day of salvation. You know, when I was praying for this message, I said to myself, I said, God, I was talking to God. Some would say I was talking to myself, but I was talking to God. And I'm like, man, like, I don't even know if my children are in the natural going to have a father tomorrow. Because I don't know when my time is going to be. I don't know that. None of us know that. None of us have another day promised to us. So I said, whenever I preach today, God, just use me in some way. Use me in some way by the power of your spirit to speak into the hearts of the people. I don't know how I'm going to be used. I don't know the heart of man. God does. He knows everything about you. Every hair on your head. He knows the day you were born. He knows the day you're going to die. He knows every weakness you have, every strength you have, every hope you have, every fear you have, every doubt you have. 
God knows it all. And he knew you were going to be here today. And I'm telling you that sin entered in the world. We are all marred by sin. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. The Bible says that if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all of unrighteousness. And there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And you may say, well, I'm not that bad of a person. I'm not like Hitler. And I say, what's the measuring stick? Who decides what's good and bad? How many times does a rapist have to rape to be a rapist? How many times does a murderer have to murder to be a murderer? How many times you got to lie to be a liar? The Bible says that no thief, no adulterer, no murderer, no liar, no homosexual will enter into the kingdom of God. I know it's controversial, but it's real. Eternity is a long time to be wrong. I'm pleading with you. I'm pleading with you as one who doesn't know if I have tomorrow to live, and this might be the last time I ever get to speak to you. You know, when I was driving to church, or I don't, maybe I was driving to church or driving back because I had an early morning, but nonetheless, whenever I was driving, I was on 417, and I was going 90 because I'm an idiot. <laughs> but what happened? Highway patrol. He's going this way, and he stopped, and he turned around through the median. I knew I was getting a ticket. But, Grace, <laughs> the undeserved merit of God, I deserved a ticket. Somebody else got a ticket. They must have been going 91. They were in, the, they were in front of me. I kind of got over But here's what I thought about. I said, man, if you get before God, when you get before God, if you do not know him, if you have not put your faith, hope, and trust in Christ, you're going to feel like I felt. I promise you. You're going to feel like I felt this morning because you're going to know you're guilty. You're going to know that you deserve Whatever punishment is coming your way. There's no other chance, guys. There's no other way. The Bible says that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one goes to the Father but through me, and that's Jesus. That's Jesus. It says that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believeth him will not perish but have everlasting life because Jesus is alive. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. If, if you believe, man, if, if God is doing anything in your heart, if you say, man, this is resonating, that's the move of the Spirit. If this, is re- if this is doing anything, if this is, if this is just messing with your heartstrings, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. I just want to tell you I love you. I love you. And I don't want anyone to spend eternity separated from God forever. There's no good works that you can do, church. There's no good works that you can do, listener. You may not be Hitler, but the Bible says that your righteousness is as filthy rags. Your best works aren't enough because he's a holy God.
but his grace is sufficient in your weaknesses. Hear the call of the Holy Spirit. If that's you, listen, I know I'm speaking for all the I'm speaking for Bishop and I'm speaking for Pastor Aldo. We love you guys. That's between you and God, but we'd love to talk to you. Come talk to us. Don't be scared. Don't be fearful. Even if you just say, man, I don't know what the heck was going on in my heart, but something was going on. I just need to talk about it. Come talk to us. We just want to embrace you. We just want to pray with you. We want to be here for you if there's a way that we can. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you are gracious and you are good, Lord God. I thank you so much for your loving kindness and tender mercy. I thank you, Lord, for the message of hope, Lord God. And I thank you, Lord God, for an inheritance that is incorruptible, undefiled, and one that will never fade away, reserved for your church. God, I pray that you would make us like you, Lord God, that you would unite our hearts as the body of Christ. Father, that we would live in a manner that brings honor and glory to you, Lord God. Father, I pray that you would forgive us for our shortcomings, my God, that you would forgive us for our sins, Lord God, that you would forgive us for the times when we put more trust in ourselves than we do in you. Teach us to trust. Teach us to obey. We love you, and we thank you for loving us first. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.